Hey fam, welcome to the Free Trail Podcast. Hope you're having a wonderful holiday season. I am your host, Dylan Bowman, and as is our tradition here today, I am joined by Corinne Malcolm, Free Trail's editor-in-chief, Trail Society co-host, pro trail runner, and expert commentator to break down the year that was and look ahead to 2023 and beyond. I'll keep the intro short because I trust you know the drill here. We will discuss our votes for Trail Runner of the Year. We'll dissect some of the best performances from 2022, recognize FKT's run this year, identify our Rookies of the Year, discuss storylines from the season, make predictions for next year and beyond, and hand out the Bill Duper Spirit Award. It's fun to do this with Corinne again, and I always appreciate hearing her analysis, and I'm sure you will too. A big thank you for a full year of support from Speedland, the title sponsor of the Free Trail Podcast. I met Dave and Kevin a few days ago in Portland, and we've got even more in store for 2023 that I'm so grateful and excited for. Speedland, of course, produces the best and most high-quality footwear in the trail running game, and they are trail-focused. Our sport, the best sport in the world. We are currently in pre-order for the third commission, the GS TAM, inspired by Mount Tamalpais in the trails of Northern California. The GS TAM is an incredible shoe built for distance, but Good for speed as well, double boa dials, plate compatibility, double P-backs midsoles for ridiculous bounce and durability. The GS TAM is the pinnacle of innovation in trail running, and it can be yours when you use code FREETRAIL10 at runspeedland.com. That makes the shoe under 250 bones. Definitely a premium product, but also an incredible value. Runspeedland.com, use code FREETRAIL10. Finally, a big thank you to the FREETRAIL Pro community. We would not exist without your support and your inspiration being part of this community is one of the biggest joys of the year for me, and uh, we look forward to building it even more in 2023. If you'd like to join, we would love to have you part of the community. Visit freetrail.com, hit the button in the top right corner, or find the link in the show notes. Happy New Year, everyone. Hope you enjoy the show. Okie dokie. Welcome to our most frequent recurring guest, Free Trail Editor-in-Chief, Trail Society co-host, Corinne Malcolm. Corinne, Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. Yeah, good to be here. We were both just chatting before we jumped on that. We're both decompressing from very good but very busy holiday weekends in both both the Bay Area, Portland, up here in Seattle. Just It's been a whirlwind. How are you feeling ending... 2022 are you reflecting are you are there any profound takeaways from the past 12 months I mean it's been a big year of change right like I've been married for just over a year we found out we were moving to Seattle we moved to Seattle we bought a house which we're like still sort of moving into as there are like boxes stacked against the closet behind me um so it feels like I'm finally settling in here which is kind of a nice way to like round out the year is like I'm home I'm making this place my home and after, you know, having that established in the Bay Area, kind of having to reestablish that back here in Washington has been very good, but a very chaotic, fun last six months. Yeah. Well, I can relate and we're already freestyling here, but 
For somebody who's been injured for the last couple years, more or less, I feel like you've just done an amazing job of carving a new novel and unique path that is specific to you in these last couple of years. And I hope you feel good as we end 2022 about your greater position in the sport, even though you're, you're not racing or training to the extent I think you want to. So kudos to you, Corinne. Thanks. I appreciate that. So we are here to break down the uh, the year that was in trail and ultra running. And Corinne and I, this has become a Christmas tradition for us. So just to go through the agenda here before we launch into everything, we're going to go through our trail runners of the year as voted on at fantasy.freetrail.com. This is going to be international. So we're going to give you at least the top half of our ballots, both men and women. We're going to move on to performances of the year for men and women. We're going to talk about some FKT stuff, some rookies of the year, some of the new young talent ascending in the sport. We're going to talk about some of the overall storylines in the sport. We'll hand out the Bill Duper Spirit Award. This is our attempt at recognizing somebody who's made a unique impact outside of race performance. So the Bill Duper Spirit Award will be awarded. Uh, we'll make some predictions for next year and uh, maybe expand a little bit more on our personal highlights from 2022 and look ahead towards next year from a personal perspective. Corinne, let's launch into it. Trail Runners of the Year, where do you want to start, men or women? Oh, I mean, can we just start by saying that this was really hard? It was so hard. So, so hard. And that it, that was like the overwhelming takeaway, I think, from a lot of people too, is like, and that even changed because I vote, I did my, I turned in my Troy, my trail runner of the year. And then I turned in my Uroy, like the North American ballot, like a couple days later. And I'll even say like, I'm looking at the screenshot I took and I don't think this is what I submitted. I think I actually made one last change. <laughs> from what I like have on my computer screen right now, because I literally went back and forth. Like I, I, I put my top 10 together and I felt pretty good about that, but I literally like was moving people around in that top 10 for forever. I think I resubmitted my picks like three or four times before the like closing bell. So this was really, really hard. And I think that's the right sensation to come out of this with. It sure was. And I had the same experience and we should say here that we're going to be releasing sort of like some of the learnings and some of the statistics from the vote from 2022 and how things will, will stay the same and uh, evolve in 2023. But it was a really successful first year, the Trail Runner of the Year voting. And I had a similar experience where it was highly entertaining, but very difficult to come up with a ballot. So let's start with the women, Corinne. You get us kicked off. Okay. So, and again, talking to that, like going back and forth, what are we doing? Are we doing top five? Are we let's, telling our Let's top go 10? top five. I think top 10 okay. is maybe excessive. If there's needed to give a few honorable mentions, we can do that. Okay. And it's, it'll be, I'm curious to see how we overlapped and how we are different here. And this was, this was very, very difficult. I ultimately, I went back and forth with Ninke and Courtney in my one and two spots. I don't know how many times, like, I think that was the thing I kept changing back and forth and back and forth. Also where I wanted to put Katie Scheid in that list as well, changed a lot based on depth of competition, based on outstanding performances, et cetera. So I ultimately submitted one Courtney DeWalter, two Ninke Brinkman, three Blondine, um, four Ruth Croft, five Katie Scheid was my top five. And like, you know, I had Marianne Hogan in there and I just like, I, I had to go like head to head competitions as well. You know, right outside of that group is also Allie Mack and Maude Matthews who were in my top 10. Um, so it's like having that short distance, the, like what I found really interesting about the short distance racing, like the sub ultra trail scene, which I think is 
really engaging and everyone should go watch all those races. But what I found was that if Courtney's where I was going back and forth between Courtney and Ninka, so people can see where my, where my mind was on this is if Courtney's wins at Madeira, Hard Rock and Grand Raid had not been course records and historical performances on those courses, I would not have ranked her as high, but it was because they were historically relevant course record performances that kind of bumped it up in my mind, because what Ninke and Allie Mack and Maud Matthews and Danny Moreno and Shayla Alvarez, all these women, what they go through, um, you know, Remy on the men's side in this head to head, insane short distance competition week in and week out is also just like so huge, like competition makes racing harder. And so that to me was the thing that I had to grapple with was initially, I actually, I like was like Ninke, Ninke is number one for me. And then I was like, okay, wait, you're, you're really thrilled with her crazy ability to run both the most insane road marathons and do these things. Yeah. And you're like, so impressed with the head to head competition, but I had to like weigh in there with the, the, the number of long distance, high performance performances, which is redundant, that Courtney got in was kind of that small thing that ultimately put her into the number one spot for me. Yeah. Well, great minds think alike, Corinne, and I'll give you my ballot, but there was almost, it was almost identical, but just to maybe add to what you were saying, because I went through a similar agonizing comparison in my head and what tipped me over was the Grand Raid course record from Courtney, where she finished was it, it was fourth overall and broke the course record by two and a half hours. And of course, it's not the same as UTMB in that there hasn't been that many of as history's many. best performers going to Reunion Island to compete over that distance. But running that time on that course, in my mind, was a historically great 100-mile performance. And when you combine that with a course record at Hard Rock, an iconic 100-miler in North America, and the early season course record at Madeira, where she was dominant as usual, breaking her own course record there. An amazing season. Plus, I gave her extra kudos for throwing her hat in the ring and finishing 10th at Zagama, you know, going out of her wheelhouse. That was cool. Yeah, very cool. cool. But Ninka, to your point, was number two for me as well. I think a generational talent is going to be an absolute phenom in the sport if she doesn't get too pressured into just chasing Olympic glory in Paris in 2024, I think Ninka could evolve into one of the truly great iconic athletes up there with Killian and just in terms of pure uh, talent and, and pure capability on the trails. Then I had Blandine in third, the CCC victory combined with world champs just a couple weeks later and awesome and the euro the euro 40k yeah. uh like european championships which is also a very competitive race right right so blandine in third for me and then this is the only place that we diverged i put ali mack in fourth between yeah. broken arrow mount marathon the world championship at the vertical heard dynamism at the Golden Trail World Series final. Allie Mack just had an awesome year and it was so good to see her, you know, sort of come back from a couple of years of injury and come right back up to the top of the sport and take home a world championship and a bronze medal at the Trail and Mountain Running World Championships. And then I had Katie Scheid in fifth, of course, UTMB champion deserves to be on the list. Uh, so yeah, great, exhaustive, uh, you know, kind of debrief on the women's field. We could go through our entire top 10, but maybe we'll do that next year. Let's move over to the men and then we can 
take off any honorable mentions after the fact. Yeah, I I guess the hottest take for me that people will probably disagree with is that Jim Walmsley was ninth on my list. Um, but my top my top five were Killian Journey, just range, course records, everything. Um, Remy Bonet in second. I think that he had a phenomenal year. Um, Adam Peterman with that Worlds. I think if Adam hadn't had that Worlds win at the end of the season, he might have ranked a little bit lower for a lot of us. Um, Petter Engdahl in fourth. Jonathan Albin in fifth were my top five for Troy. So again, we had four overlaps, but not in the exact order like we had with the women. But I had, of course, Killian... I mean, it's incredible and we should just say it. I mean, six weeks apart, breaking the course record at Hard Rock and UTMB somehow. And that's, and that's series and all performance, which was also just out of this world. Right. And Zagama, he won Zagama in a course record performance in May, taking home his 10th victory there at Zagama stupid. already. That's it's stupid. 34 years old, Killian. It's just absolutely incredible and rightly takes home trail runner of the year on both of our ballots. Then I had Adam Peterman in second. I mean, an undefeated season and I, yeah, his chucking up performance, honestly, I think, I mean, yes, his Western States performance as a rookie at Western States on the men's side in particular was insanely impressive. But I think the result, a lot of people will overlook for him is his run at Chuckanut, yeah. which is a storied race an historic race, a competitive race like that to me was like, wow, yeah. Adam Peterman. And of course, one canyons to punch his ticket to Western States, then wins Western States on debut. And, you know, sort of looking ahead, I think for sure he runs probably he has the capability to run an hour faster there on that course next year. Yeah. And then taking home a world championship, the kid, I, one of the things that ranks him so high here is not only his performances, but I think he really does kind of represent this new guard of ascendant professionals in the sport. And what I love about him is that he's taking a very intentional approach. He's not like chasing the fame, not chasing the big races, not trying to tick everything off the bucket list in one year. He gave himself three months without racing after Western States then came back and won the world championship at 80 K in rather dominant fashion by nearly 15 minutes. Then I had Remy Remy also a great story from this year. I mean, golden trail world series champion. And I think really coming into his own, he's always been one of the best as a pure uphill VK type athlete, but now really proving that he's an all arounder that he can hang on the climbs and the descents and put together multi-day races in rather dominant fashion himself there on Madeira at the golden trail world series final. Then I had Jonathan Albin in fourth on my list and Jim in fifth. And so Petter Engdahl, we have to give an honorable mention to, and for sure, when we get to performance of, uh, performances of the year, I think we'll both be mentioning Petter, but I put Jonathan Albin in front of him just because I felt like he had a little bit more when you combine his head-to-head -head victory with Petter at the Maxi Race Marathon then he won the Mont but Blanc. But they were head-to-head -head at, at CCC. CCC. Yes, at CCC. They were first and second, and Petter got the best of him there. Jonathan still under course record, second place, but then took home a world's bronze in at the end of the season. So I put Jonathan yeah. Albin, but we're splitting hairs there. Yeah, well, while Petter was at probably an arguably less competitive than usual Transvolcania, but yeah. still ran a really solid win, like a, a great victory for him to do that at Transvolcania yeah. as well. And both great athletes and both of whom I think we can look ahead towards next year and oh my goodness, be very they're... excited about. Cause I think both of them plan to run the UTMB. So 
Yep. I know that's, that's Petter's uh, goal for next season, which is super exciting. Hey, actually, and, and to, you know, just to shout out teammates, friends, friends of the pod, uh, Abby Hall, I think is also going to be stepping up to, to UTMB next year, yep. which is insanely exciting. And Ruth Croft, it's going to be such a cool race. Yikes. Yikes. Well, ideally such a cool race. Fingers yeah. crossed on that. Yeah. And a lot of good honorable mentions there. I mean, Ruth did make my ballot as well. I think she was sixth. Marianne Hogan made my ballot. Allie, uh, Abby Hall made my ballot. Like I yeah. said, Jim was fifth for me on the men's side, um, Madeira course record, UTMB fourth, and then win in Templier. It's funny that that can be kind of like a disappointing season for Jim, but you know, I still think. Yeah. But when, I think when you bring in the like other aspects that make Troy so interesting, like I had Patrick, um, Kippen, Kippen Genio. Yep. Kippen Nano. Yep. I will never say that name right, probably. <laughs> I had him up in seven. So I actually yeah. had him ahead of Tom and Jim on my list. But mixing it, mixing up the shorter distance ultra guys into that mix, like once again, yes, apples and oranges. It's really hard to make those direct comparisons. But, you know, sitting down and looking at head to head competition, looking at what their season encompassed um, was super interesting, actually, because there were some results. There was one guy who, oh, uh, he was eighth at UTMB and then won TDG, I think. Really? <laughs> yeah. Like, I was like, what? I didn't even know that had happened. Like, yeah. did not put that together, um, which is just baffling for those who don't know, right? That was was top 10 at UTMB and then doubled back like two weeks later, essentially, to win Tour de Jean, which is a 330-kilometer event. Madness. Madness. But silly. Our sport is silly. Yeah, so cool. And I guess just to pull the curtain back a little bit on this Trail Runner of the Year award as before we move on to performance of the year, we had considered splitting short distance and long distance and having two classifications. And in hindsight, I'm so happy we didn't because it really makes this voting system more entertaining and more challenging when you can compare people like Remy Bonet against people like Killian and Adam Peterman and on the women's side comparing Ninka and Courtney. It's like the two of the greatest of all time, but with very different specializations under the greater umbrella of trail running. It's a really fun exercise. So moving on to performances of the year, Karim, why don't you get us started with, uh, let's start with yeah. the men this time. Just yeah, so fun. interestingly, right, too, I, I like had set this up because we had to think about performances of the year for our Uroy ballots. And so initially, like that was kind of where my focus was on this. So for men, actually, like what I put in for Uroy was Dakota Jones's Havelina. Um, so just for reference there, but I think my international pick for performance of the year, um, I was blown away, as we mentioned, Petter Engdahl's CCC. And so that kind of, that was top, topped up there. Um, and it, cause it was hard for me to like with Killian's performances that were record setting, what was most impressive about his record setting performances was like the doubling back of other things that it was like the, the context made them so insanely impressive outside of just the overall performance. And so that's kind of where I was like, wait, is it the performance that's impressive? Like winning UTMB or winning hard rock, or is it the context of like what was going on situationally? And so for me, Petter Engdahl CCC was really just like, wow, this sport is getting crazy. Yeah. Like the back and forth nature of that race, the course record setting performances, things are just getting faster. Um, really stood out for me. And then just because we had to vote on North Americans for this on our Euro ballots um, from a U.S. standpoint, I was absolutely floored by Dakota Jones's Havelina this year. Yeah, fantastic. And just to expand on the context of performance, I think it's worth adding 
as it pertains to Killian, the specific context of both those races at Hard Rock and at UTMB. One of the coolest things of the year for me was watching Killian and Francois do battle right. through mile 90 on the Hard Rock course, the race where you typically know who the winner is going to be like five, six hours before they arrive back in Silverton to kiss the rock. Killian and Francois going through Cunningham Gulch together at mile 91, just one of those goosebumps inducing historic moments in our sport. And then Six weeks later, going toe-to-toe with Matthew Blanchard at the UTMB, taking course records at both of those races. And I think importantly, and maybe most significantly, is Killian finally being pushed, pushed by some uh, incredible athletes and still rising to the occasion and still proving that he's the best yeah. after all these and, years. And not being completely invincible in those yeah. moments too. Like really, like, really like having to struggle and get gritty, I think was really... Uh, cool to witness as a fan and as a spectator, um, which also I think maybe this is a storyline theme for this, but it's what you just brought up of this, like the men racing or the women racing to the the nitty gritty end of these events is like that to me speaks volumes about where the sport at the professional end is going. Like you can't, it's not always a battle of attrition in a lot of these big races anymore. Like it is head to head. I mean, we saw this in OCC In OCC in both the men's race and the women's race, there were podium changes in the final descent from La Flagere, which we like 55 K sure that happens, but to see it in the 55 K and the hundred K and the hundred mile distance that like, not, you're not sure who's going to win until they cross the line is very, very cool. The, the depth and level of competition is just bonkers. Yeah. I would agree also that Petter Engdahl, potentially the single best performance of the year. And just in terms of like the stage and the dominance of it and the extent to which he destroyed the existing yeah, already. First 100K for him yeah. too. Like hadn't run that distance before ever. Yeah. I had him on the pod a couple months ago. Loved chatting with him and really look forward to following the rest of his career. Honorable mentions, I had Adam Peterman at World Champs. I had Walmsley's Madeira, which Madeira. I think flies under the radar, but he smashed. Uh, Francois's course record there on a course that doesn't necessarily suit his traditional skill set. So shout out to those guys. Let's talk about the women. Yeah. So the women's stuff, you know, we mentioned Courtney's grand raid as a standout performance this year. And I think that that is, there's no situational context to that. Like that was standout to, to break the course record, but that much, um, you know, while it does not get maybe the attention that other races get, a lot of very good women have showed shown up over over the history of that race to run times there and um, to break the course record by that much. To me, really, really stood out. Ruth Croft's Western States stood out as well, given the historical time thrown down there and just the level of competition in that race. We had, you know, we we got to watch on live coverage like Ruth and Emily Hoggood and Keely Henninger come into the um, Devil's Thumb Aid Station together getting to see that kind of race take a long time to break apart was, was especially cool. And for her to hold on to what the third fastest, second fastest time ever, yep. um, be just behind Ellie Greenwood. I thought was really, really incredible. And then once again, with my Uroy North American hat on, I wanted to highlight Sarah Beal's JFK record, mm. breaking a 10 year Ellie Greenwood re- record at JFK. So yep. at 2012 Ellie, was arguably a very, very fast Ellie. So very cool to see Sarah Beal shatter that time, took a ton of time off of it. And to me, that makes me wonder too, like, I think she's a free agent. I'm really excited to see what's obviously very good at the runnable stuff, but Mm. she's kind of, she, you know, I think she, 
She's come out to some like more sky running style races, hasn't done great at those, but really, really curious to see where someone like Sarah Beal and her, her JFK talent, like can maybe come into some of these crossover trail races. Where does she live? She's a Midwest or East coast person. Mm. Um, she's not a West coast gal. I want to say she's from the East coast. I'm probably going to get that wrong. Yeah. Well, yeah, very cool. And, you know, potentially also fits into that sort of like ascending, maybe rookie of the year category as well. And, it's yeah. her third or fourth time running JFK. Really, and she's yeah. just gotten, she, she was second to Sarah Cummings last year. She was not the fastest Sarah on the day. She was second, but I want to say she ran like 20 minutes faster this year yeah. to win the race and break Ellie's record. So she's just like slowly chipping away in a fashion that is really, really admirable. And I'm just so excited to see where she goes. Yeah. Well, I also had Courtney at the Grand Raid, incredible performance, Ruth's Western States, perfectly executed, classic trademark Ruth Croft, just don't screw up and took home a cougar, a well-deserved cougar and really wasn't in danger the entire way. She was pretty much in control. And then just some more awesome highlights that I recall spectating and being completely inspired by. Allie Mack at Mount Marathon, incredible yes. taking Emily Forsberg's course record there. Uh, Ali Mack also taking home the world championship vertical an incredible, uh, performance from her there. And, uh, I also had Ninka Brinkman taking the course record at the historic Zagama marathon starting the season in, on the European mountain running circuit. So a lot of incredible performances for both the men and women to keep in our memory banks for, and the history bank for the year of 2022. Let's, uh, any honorable mentions before we move on to FKTs? I think that covered all the ones that I was really hoping to highlight. Yeah, cool. There, as far as just like really stand up performances go. Oh, I guess one that we should mention, um, he'll get some love when we talk to you, Roy, potentially. Uh, David Sinclair broke Killian's record at the Rut 50K. Yep. Um, David had a good year of like taking down a bunch of Mountain West 50Ks um, while also being second to Adam Peterman yep. um, at Canyons, but his rut performance. Anytime you get a Killian record, I think that that should automatically uh, bump you up a, <laughs> yes. a notch or two. I'll be curious to see where he ends up on the Uroy list because he's the type of athlete who flies under the radar. He had an incredible In a big way. Yeah, incredible season. He doesn't post a lot on Instagram and he turned down his opportunity to run Western States and therefore I guess kind of, yeah, not get exposed to a lot of the media attention inherent in that big stage, but, um, yeah, what an incredible season for him. And yeah, I look forward to seeing what he does in the future. If he does step up or continue to sort of focus on the shorter distance mountain running stuff, but yeah, he, he kind of got everything out of Adam Peterman at Canyon's it back in April. And it's oftentimes hard to remember those early season performances when we get to the end of the year, but shout out David Sinclair. I wasn't planning to go through you, Roy. I don't know if there's, you know, sort of specific American people you want to give shout outs some American to. American shout outs. Yeah. Um, I guess I, so people that ranked higher for me or who maybe just missed or were at the back end of my Troy top 10, who made it into my women's top five, let's say, um, Abby Hall, who we mentioned, uh, Jasmine, um, Lothler, um, yeah. 
really great season for her. I had her in four and then Devin Yanko I had in five, um, just because I think Devin, Devin's Umstead overall win, her Javelina win, um, a bunch of insanely fast 50 mile races bumped her up for me in a big way. Um, so really cool to see there. The women's top 10 was actually, I think really, really hard for me. And I think the only person who I didn't mention earlier for my men's group, I had Hayden Hawks in fifth. Um, Arlen Glick in the mix, Drew Holman, Jonathan Rea, yeah. who will probably get some more shine next year. Got, got himself a golden ticket back into Western States. I had him in my top 10 as well as Tyler Green and Rich Lockwood. So um, it was an interesting, interesting group, but it wasn't, it was just, yeah, it was very, the the calculus going through the Troy then to Uroy was super interesting just with the removal of the sub ultra distance trail stuff. And yeah. then um, the removal of some of that kind of, um, uh, just like focusing on the North American based athletes. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, basically it looks like our Uroy ballots are very similar too. So yeah. we don't that need to go through mine. Right. I just pulled my ballot up, but you pretty much covered everything that we needed to say there. So let's talk a little bit about FKTs. It was a quieter year on the FKT front because everybody's so happy to be back to competition, but there was at least a couple noteworthy ones. Do you want to get us started? Yeah. So I had, you want to do women or men first? Women. Any preference? Women. Okay. So I had two that really stood out to me in the women's side. One is short and one is quite long um, and kind of a similar theme for the men's side. So on the women's side of things, I had um, Andrea um, Sanson, who lowered the, the Nolan's 14 record, you know, when you're chasing the likes of Megan Hicks and Sabrina Stanley. Um, it's a pretty pretty big task to take yeah. and lowered it to 45.52. So the first woman to be well under that two-day mark of 48 hours. Um, Sabrina's second push to get the record back in 2020 was 48.49. So that's a huge um, chunk of time kind of taken, taken off there. So that to me really stood out as a very stout women supported fastest no time on Nolan's. And then um, Kimber Maddox's um, rim to rim caught my attention just because like Alicia Vargo, I think unofficially held it before her. Um, I don't think, I think that she ran it kind of off, the, not off the couch. I don't think anything Alicia does is off the couch, but um, she lowered that by another like eight or nine minutes. Um, and it's now the women's time now stands at like three eleven or so. Mm -hmm. So they're about 20 minutes back from the men's time. Rob Carr has the men's time in two fifty one. So I thought Kimber's time on rim to rim was super impressive and rounded out her year in a nice way. Um, also so, a great athlete who flies under the radar. Kimber totally Maddox. flies under the yeah. radar. Super, super strong. Um, she had an amazing, a hard, but amazing OCC, mm -hmm. um, kind of charged, you know, was, was charging, ended up finishing fourth. fourth yeah. I want to say just Danny. ahead of Allie. Yeah. yeah. I think it was Danny Allie, um, or, uh, Danny Kimber Alley there. So we had so many women in the top 10. That was yeah. amazing. But yeah, so I think Kimber flies under the radar. And I thought that that performance in particular was very strong and very kind of legitimizing. Cool. Well, I just wanted to add Courtney DeWalter's collegiate loop. I think this is a loop that when we talked about it on the podcast, she said is completely underrated, especially because it sort of sits in the same neighborhood as Nolan's, but she broke the overall FKT. Yeah, and the Colorado by, Trail. Yeah, too. yeah, exactly. Exactly. But she broke the overall FKT held by Nick Petitella by six hours and the women's FKT held by Annie Hughes by nearly an entire day. So just yeah. a, a casual 
day and a half out on the trail for the great Courtney DeWalter. Moving on to the just, men. Just what she needed. Moving on to the men. I've also got a short distance and a long distance, so I'm thinking we're probably the same here. I'm guessing you're going Bob Graham round and uh, the incline FKT. Oh, no. Actually, I've got, I've got an extra, extra long one on my list as well, just because I think the the expansiveness of it yeah. was like what kind of FKT is uh, built on. Yeah. So I've got, so yeah. So why don't you say, why don't okay. you talk about Jack and Remy and then I'll talk about Travis. Okay, cool. Yeah. So Remy, I think this one is just worth mentioning because it's like a 15 minute <laughs> FKT, but it's so, so cool. stout and so cool. So in Colorado Springs, for those who are unaware, there is a trail called the incline and it's very appropriately named because it's basically straight up a mountainside on an old railroad track effectively. And it's just basically a 2000 foot stairway in less than a mile. So it's nearly impossible to cram more vertical into a single mile than you get on the Manitou incline. And Remy Bonet, the Swiss machine who we've already talked about here in our podcast came and took the FKT from local legend, one Joe Gray, who's also a generational a talent. Time. A million time world champion. Yeah. A million time US champion, Joe Gray. Yeah. So came to Joe Gray's home turf and snatched his proud FKT on the Manitou incline and then went on to win the Pikes Peak Ascent on the Golden Trail like World three Series. Days later. And that FKT was really what kicked off Remy's second half of the season, which was just completely insane. And that he's carried over into a ski mountaineering season now. So shout out to Remy on the uh, incline FKT. And then Jack Kunzel, if I'm saying his last name correctly, is an enigma to me and a fascinating character, but broke Killian Charnay's Bob Graham round record by nearly a half hour. And that is a very legendary um, loop in the Lake District in the UK. Um, and before Killian had broken that record, it had stood for 30 or 40 years since a legend named Billy Bland held it for decades. And then Killian set what everybody thought was a Killian-type unbreakable time. And then an unknown American, Jack Kunzel, comes out this year and takes 30 minutes off of it. And he seems to be a very interesting FKT specialist. So... Really yeah, cool. I want to see him race. I don't know when, I think he will race eventually. And I think there's some races that really are attractive to him, but if you haven't yet, obviously he needs to come on the free trail podcast, but if you haven't yet his, um, Finn's interview on the single track podcast with him, um, post Bob Graham round, he's actually been on the podcast twice, but the second one the post Bob Graham, Graham round one was very good. Sweet. Yeah. I got to get him on the show and I'll go back and revisit those, but yeah. Who was your super, who was your super long distance one? The super long one was this FKT called the Sierra Peaks section list. And um it's 247 peaks in the Sierras, which is in the Sierra Mountain Range, which is pretty amazing. Wow. Um and it hadn't, I don't think it had been done in a calendar year yet. And so Nathan Longhurst, who helped Jason Hardrath yes, on a bunch okay. of the um, who, who was, so, so Nathan Longhurst was the youngest ever person to complete the, um, the slam basically up here, the, um, the, bulgers. the bucket, yeah, the bulgers list, mm -hmm. um, in the cascades, um, went and started the Sierra project. He did it multi-sport. So he skied the early peaks, um, and was then joined by friend Travis Sores for the second part of it. So they actually did a lot of it together, but Travis is not a snow creature. He hates the snow. And so he skipped a bunch of the early ones when there was snow on them and then came back to them. And so Nathan set this record in 204 or uh, in 
I can't remember what it was, 124 days or something. And then Travis Sories shortly thereafter broke it with 117 days. So not only did they go under a calendar year, they went well under that. They went in the summer, you know, in the climbing season. And so just to, that, that is a PCT, AT, Continental Divide style effort where you're just like going through these peaks day in and day out um, for months. And so thought it was a really cool project. I think it's the type of project that FKT kind of was like the idea it was founded on and these kind of like these long personal projects are taking a mountaineer's, you know, more like a mountaineer's lifetime project and turning it into a summer project, which is pretty yeah. aggressive and very cool. Yeah, it does certainly have that Buzz Burrell, Peter Bachwin feeling to it. That Sierra section. Shout out to those guys. Incredible. Three, four months of dedication, just schlepping around in the Sierra. Amazing. The Free Trail Podcast is brought to you by Boa Fit System. You all know Boa, the best lacing system ever invented. You know, the dials you see on every pair of Speedland footwear and on a number of other high quality products in the outdoor and endurance sport marketplace. Boa dials ensure the best possible fit and therefore the best possible performance and experience while you are out ripping on the trails. The LI2 dials are what we use on the Speedlands, which offer incredibly customizable fit. You can tighten and loosen them to very precise increments on the fly, all without tying silly shoelaces. Seriously, it's 2022. Who ties their shoes anymore? Once you go BOA, you never go back. These dials will change your life and make your feet much happier. To learn more about BOA, visit boafit.com. Follow them on Instagram at boafitsystem. Thanks to BOA for their support. The Free Trail Podcast is brought to you by Gnarly Nutrition. Are you tinkering with your race day nutrition strategy? Are you finding that the nonstop consumption of energy gels and chews leaves you with intense taste fatigue and sugar overdose? Well, I have some advice for you, something I've done for years now. That is, drink your calories. I've tried everything on the market and I am here to tell you that not all drink mixes are created equal. The Gnarly Fuel 2.0 drink mix is by far the best that I've tried for both taste and energy supply. Fuel 2.0 is the bomb, especially the cherry cola flavor. That is my absolute favorite. Has all the carbohydrates, the electrolytes, the amino acids to power you along your trail adventures. Two more things that make it amazing. One, it is NSF certified for sport, so you don't have to worry about unintentionally ingesting any banned substances. And two, they come in both multi-serving bags and single-serving pouches. I typically use the big bag, but in case I use a single-serve stick in a race or a long training run where I need to refill my bottles, the sticks are actually easy to open. It's a miracle. We've all fumbled with drink mix pouches that are impossible to tear open on the run. Is there anything more frustrating? Well, Gnarly somehow solved for that too. So go grab some Fuel 2.0 drink mix at gonarly.com. Use code FREETRAIL15 for 15% off your purchase. Gonarly.com. Use code FREETRAIL15. Cool. Let's talk about rookies of the year. This doesn't necessarily need to be people who just got into the sport in 2022, but more so just people who we are identifying as being kind of future talents and who are kind of solidified their position as being really solid performers on the circuit, both domestically or internationally. 
Yeah. And I, I think my slant is always towards a little bit of like, maybe they've had a season of ultra running or maybe it's their first season, but kind of someone who hasn't been necessarily around for a while. Um, but you could be like a breakout year, I think is kind of the other way to look at it for some folks. Um, I'm going to start with my women and I, and there are three names that came to top of mind, um, for me. And those were, um, Jasmine Lowther. Obviously she had run last year, but this year was like an exceptionally amazing breakout year for her between great pick canyons when um being injured and kind of missing out the bit middle of the season and then coming back with that ccc um near podium finish um she was chasing really hard in the back half of that race so she stood out to me in a big way hannah Allgood, um fan of the pod free trail free trail fam member um i think had an exceptionally like kind of breaking into the sports season um, being at Gorge. Um, I know she didn't have the day she wanted at CCC, but I thought that her performance at, oh, what was the race with her and Claire and Hillary? That was San Juan, San Juan. Solstice. Yeah. San yeah. Juan Solstice. I thought that was a really standout race for her as well, going up against the two of them. And, and really like it was a battle to the very end between her and Claire. Um, and then her most recent second place finish at, um, in Thailand. So I thought that her season was really, really amazing. And then, um, the last person on my list there, was Sophia Lockley, who came on to the the Golden Trail series, seen this year, this, you know, a crossover athlete, just currently racing on the World Cup for Nordic skiing. Um, super young, talented human that I hope um finds finds balance. Cause I think it'd be really tempting to like just run your face off in the summer with this cool new Solomon yeah. kind of plus plus sponsorship on top of your ski sponsorship. Um, recognizing that she races a full t- like a full winter into the spring calendar on skis, like making sure she gets enough rest and enough time to train. Um, we'll be very curious to see what that looks like in future seasons, just yeah. because um, obviously a amazing talent and very curious to see what that looks like in 2026, 2028, et cetera. Corinne, this is why we're a great team because I have all the same names on my list, but I'd love to expand a little bit on Sophia quickly, because I think you can add a special element here, given your background as a Nordic skier by athlete. What is, do you think are Sophia's considerations now with the future of her professional career? Because for me, it seems like she has all the potential to be up there with Ninka Brinkman. You know, she finished second to Ninka in the Golden Trail World Series, and she's only 22. Ninka's 27 or something like that. So it gives Sophia another five years to develop as a pure runner. Is she the type of talent who can win the Golden Trail Series or win Zagama or potentially I think, earn a living I think- racing marathons even? Yeah, I think that she has that talent. But the thing is, I think there are probably a number of skiers who have that talent. And I do think after the next Winter Olympics, we'll see more crossover people. Someone who didn't really have a season on the men's side, David Norris, for example. Um, He just had, unfortunately, a bad string of injuries involving his ankle. Um, He's older. He's he's closer to my age. Um, But he like kind of retired from skiing after this last Winter Olympic cycle. Um, and was really excited to race a lot more this year and just didn't kind of pan out. But I think we're going to see more of that. That's going to be a storyline of this is getting ahead of ourselves. It's going to be a storyline where we see athletes like Heather Jackson, yeah. um, another maybe maybe a rookie of the year, I would say, um, who are coming over to trail and ultra while still in, let's say, quote unquote, their prime. Yeah. Um, it not being a, a completely secondary move i'm i'm curious but like is sophia gonna go to the olympics in 20 again yeah probably 
and can and could. And, and we so should emphasize like, that that's the Olympics in Nordic skiing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, I think that you can kind of live, you live Olympic cycle to Olympic cycle when you're in those sports. Yeah. Um, and so it's likely that she's committed herself through that Olympic cycle, um, which yeah. would be normal and rational. And she's got a good thing going with the U.S. ski team. She's super young. That team is super young in general. I think Rosie Brennan's the oldest on that team at like 33. Jesse Diggins is the next oldest on that team at 31. Um, but then everyone else is like 19 to 23 or 24. It's yeah. a very young American team. Um, and so I wouldn't be surprised if that still remains the focus through that Olympic cycle, unless she doesn't, isn't having a good time, doesn't like it, um, is finding more success running is maybe there's sponsorship money that influences that. But I think it'll take. That was one of the things I was wondering about, you know, like, could, could it get to a point where, because I don't know the economics of being a professional Nordic skier, but my it's not, it's not great, and it's not. That's much what I was than, wondering, you know, and trail running. Yeah, is is her deal with Solomon and her ability to earn money? And this is getting to one of my overall stories of the year. I, I wonder if the economics might persuade her or pressure her to feel like she needs to specialize more as a runner, but maybe she's got so much time ahead of her being only 22 or 23 years old. Totally. And, and she can go to the Olympics and then still have a 10 year trail running career. After the that. thing is, is that the best way to make the Olympic team is to be on the U S ski team. Yeah. And I, there have been athletes in the past who have been very talented at multi-sports Tad Elliott being one of them. Um, Paige Elliott's brother, for those of you who knew Paige Elliott, Dakota Jones's partner, um, her older brother who's a twin, um, Tad, is a very, very talented athlete, has always been a very talented athlete, was on both the U.S. ski team and the U.S. like mountain biking, like pipeline Mm -hmm. track, like was raced with my husband, Steven, was destined to be a mountain bike Olympian as well as a ski Olympian. And Mm -hmm. there was a lot of pressure applied to him. Predominantly, it seemed like from the outside looking in anyway, from the ski team to be like, hey, you really like you got to choose type of thing. Mm -hmm. And so it's really hard to make those Olympic teams from outside of the pipeline. Um, it's really, it's really about being part of that team type of thing. That's definitely your best way, best way in. Cause you're racing on the world cup. You're traveling with the team. They've got a really good dynamic going. Mm-hmm. Um, so jeopardizing that becomes more difficult. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure what will happen there. I think as long as she's loving skiing and wants to make that next Olympic team, that that will probably be the focus through that Olympic cycle. And then after there, after that point, she could probably do a bit of both, um, could race some ski marathons in the, in the winter, but focus more on trail running. Like there are options I think for her, for sure, but that will be, you live Olympic cycle to Olympic cycle. And that's kind of how you make your decisions in those Olympic cycle focused sports. Good problem to have. Be a pro oh, a trail great, runner. That's a, that's a great or problem to the have. Olympics again. Yeah. What sport do you wow. want to do more? So yeah. cool. Well, add that to the list of people who I need to have on the podcast. And yeah, I guess just to tie a bow on it before we move to the men, I also had Jasmine and, and Hannah. I think but by this time next year, Jasmine and Hannah are going to be name brand American long distance trail ultra marathon runners. And I think yeah. the, the, I, I think I know Hannah is at least targeting CCC again, being unsatisfied with her, I think, 14th place performance there. But as you mentioned, finishing second at the Thailand 100K just a couple of weeks ago, that gives her an automatic bid into CCC again, where 
I would expect that to be sort of her bigger international breakout after the Gorge and San Juan Solstice sort of domestic breakouts uh, this season. So let's move on to the men. I expect we have more crossover yeah, you, here. Yeah, you go first okay. on the men. I'm okay. really curious to so, know what you have to say. Well, you know, a, a rookie who I guess fits into that category of it wasn't his first season, but definitely he stepped into a new category is a person you just did an interview with on freetrail.com, Mr. Rich Lockwood, the people's champ, which is a great nickname that I'm definitely going to now uh, adopt as I reference Mr. Rich Lockwood, also Seattleite, had an awesome season. He was second at Gorge. He won Tushers. He won Run Rabbit and then finished off with a second place also in Thailand. So Rich Lockwood, I think, sort of like coming into his prime, you know, even though he's an older athlete, he's still relatively inexperienced as a trail runner with tons of runway still in front of him. And uh, I thought he was very much deserving of this uh, rookie of the year designation. I also had Eli Hemming, who I found to be an incredibly um, impressive athlete. And as we've been talking about Sophia Lockley and her crossover from Nordic to trail running, Eli, of course, it was a professional triathlete now coming into trail running. You mentioned Heather Jackson. So we are seeing a theme of great endurance athletes identifying trail running as a fun new chapter of their greater athletic career. And I think Eli very much was the top performing American on sort of the golden trail world series type circuit. He also was second behind Tim Tolfson at way too cool. You know, he and Cam Smith had that awesome battle that you and I commentated at the broken arrow sky race VK, just a really solid, consistent high performer against the best athletes in the world. So I put Eli on my list too. Yeah, I had both those guys on my list. And then the last person I had on my list was um, Garrett Corcoran. Corcoran? Is that how you say his last name? I'm not sure. The JFK Um, dude. The JFK dude, the, the, the mutton chops, uh, guy, you know, there's, there's a lot of, uh, there's a specific look going there and he's going to run breakneck in the spring. So he's going for a world's team spot. It looks like, nice. um, but he was second at mammoth 50 K, um, didn't have great days at like canyons endurance hundred K. He was eighth. There was six that speed goat 50 K he had ran. He did run speed goat last year, but that was really his only, his only ultra and his only trail race on the calendar. Um, so I thought that that was kind of, obviously he's got really good flat ground speed. Mm-hmm. I mean, his, his JFK was, was super solid and it was kind of a, a battle in which he like grew into the race as the race went on. It seemed like taking advantage of some other guys having a bad, a bad day. I guess one guy we should probably mention who feels like a real wild card at this point too, is, uh, Chad Hall. Great who it's point. like, I have no idea what his deal is or what his plan is or what to expect from him, but he's obviously incredibly talented. Yeah. He just and now ran a 62-minute like, half marathon, too. That's disgusting. Stupid. Like, yeah. these people who are that talented are, you know, just kind of like, I don't know what, I don't know what his plan is, you know? And it's like, I'm curious to follow along and see what happens there. But he, so he, he beat Eric at the 50 K at Mammoth Lakes. He won the ascent. Um, I want to see him in, in some more competitive races just to like get an idea. Like I'd love to see him at broken arrow. Yeah. Right. Where like the field is a little, is like a step up or I'd love to see that him would be awesome. at 50 K or, you know, so just something where there's, or way too cool. Like yeah. see him really lined up against a field of guys who are going to like, who are arguably like the best in the country mm-hmm. to like, just see what the heck happens with him because 
he obviously is very talented Mm -hmm. and we're just kind of getting like a little glimmer of what his deal is. Yeah. Yeah. Great pick there. And I was just actually looking at, cause somebody sent me his recent post from a 62 minute half marathon. And it said something to the effect of that he was targeting Houston for a fast marathon time, which is mm-hmm. I think coming up in just a couple of weeks, but that he was yeah, a little bit like sick so that he was considering maybe bumping that back to a, a spring marathon, which would then preclude something like way too cool. But I, man, the broken arrow idea is a fantastic one, especially after right. seeing what he did at, uh, Man he likes Flakes. altitude clearly, like having him yeah. in the mix with Joe Gray and Eli Hemming and Andy Wacker, like, yeah. I'd like to see that. Awesome. Awesome. Lots of rookies, lots of young talent. And uh, yeah. To young the... talent, but also like older talent coming into form. Like Rich got into running super late. Yeah. Is well into his 30s. Chad Hall's 34. Mm. Like you've got this interesting mix of, um, you know, Jasmine's in her, like Jasmine and, and Hannah are both like in their late 20s, I want to say. So it's yeah. like people just like coming into their own in the sport, you know, in combination then with these like young out of college or in college cross country skier, like skiing athletes who are, you know, 21, 22. It's super fascinating. Yeah. So moving on to the overall story of the year, maybe I'll get us started because it's sort of an expansion of something I was just mentioning is that I feel like now for the first time, Corinne, at least in my experience in the sport, the best young athletes in the world have a viable opportunity to race short distance and make a real career for themselves as they build and mature into their professional career. Because when I was 22 coming into the sport, the golden trail world series didn't exist. You know, the Cirque series didn't exist. And in, in the U S at least the pressure was, if you wanted to make a name for yourself, if you wanted to make a career for yourself in the sport, you had to race ultra marathons and typically even hundred milers. And that's, well, I was told straight up by Patagonia that they were interested, but only if I started running more hundreds. <laughs> so, and it, of course that was something that was massively inspiring to me at the time was to run a hundred miles and I don't regret it whatsoever. But I think that led to a lot of the problems that we saw during my generation of the sport, things like overtraining syndrome, which was usually more like over racing syndrome. We don't need to go into that. But my point is more so that the best young athletes in the sport, people like Sophia, people like Eli, people like Bailey Kowalczyk, now don't need to go run the Leadville 100 or Western States or feel like they need to go straight to UTMB in order to get a professional contract. Now they have the options to build their career slowly, to ease into it, to gain experience, to still travel the world and have these powerful life experiences and hopefully have really long, successful professional careers as a result. So that's kind of what I put as my overall story, but more my interpretation was more like what was sort of like a newer trend in the sport this year. Yeah. And I think that the other point of that too, is that there's a viable pipeline from domestic circuits into international circuits too, with like the, what, what, like what, what used to be like the domestic skyrunning circuit into the international one, the the, like domestic based, you know, North American based golden trail series now into an international golden trail series to get that exposure, have those opportunities. So I think that, you know, like the world mountain running association has been around for forever, but you know, now all of a sudden it's like, cool, you could do a little bit of that, but you could also do the Cirque series and get into Mount Marathon and, you know, run the shorter distance, run the VKs at, you know, things like the rut and, um, 
uh, broken arrow. So things that I think are getting more, more coverage, um, as they, as they should. So that's very cool. Yeah. I wonder if that becomes more lucrative, honestly, because you can race more frequently. Oftentimes the live stream products are more compelling and therefore might be able to be monetized better by people like the Golden Trail. If we ever become like a, a broadcast sport or a Olympic games type of sport. It's going to be things like the VK, the up down world champs, yep. the, the short course looped style format. It's going to be the 26 K style stuff. It's going to be, it's got to be under four hours, you know? So I think which that means the short distance athletes will make a better living. And therefore I think also yes. steal a lot of athletic talent out of other sports, especially road racing, triathlon, Nordic skiing, obstacle course racing, then trail yeah. running becomes a massive international phenomenon, I think. Yeah. Which speaks to my story of the year. And it is the story of, of like the viable crossover athletes. Um, I just think, I mean, we've always had people who have come from other sports. Trail running has always been the adopter of collegiate soccer players and um, retired skiers and um, that kind of thing or triathletes like that, that has existed, but I feel like the stage at which it is existing on now, and maybe it's just because the names that are doing the crossing over um, are are a lot bigger, you know, like I came from the U S biathlon team to trail running, but like not, not nearly to the same degree as someone like Sophia Lockley coming from, you know, the last Olympic games into a, a, you know, just phenom on the golden trail world series, or you've mentioned Eli Hemming, Heather Jackson, like that to me, like Heather Jackson racing Western States in 2023 is like, already one of my favorite storylines yeah. and there are going to be so many favorite storylines to be had. And so let's pace is, ourselves. We've got a lot of time to that, start prognosticating so about Heather Jackson. And Western it's like, who knows what will happen in Western States, but like just them wanting to be in this sport, wanting to be part of our community, wanting to be competitive athletes in this world makes me really excited. Yeah. So I think that we're going to see more of that. And then I think after every Olympic cycle moving forward, that will also be a time of transition more. So like, not only are we going to be like, Ooh, contracts are up. It's going to be like, Oh, all the skiers and biathletes and, you know, speed skaters are retiring, (laughs) are retiring at the ripe age of 24. Wonder what they're going to do now. You know, it's going to be, I think we're going to see more roadrunners coming in in that sense before before the end of their career, right? Des Linden is going to run some trail and ultra stuff. Cool. But yeah. it's like only after she's done all this amazing road marathon stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's to me, it's going to be the people who make that crossover a lot sooner. And that is so freaking exciting. So I got to make a note here for when we record this at the end of 2026 or whenever the next <laughs> Olympic uh, winter Olympics are that uh, my prediction yeah. for the following year will be that there's going to be an influx of biathlon and Nordic ski talent into the sport. That'll be my, my I'm making that prediction now. Put You're me on the record. Right now. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great, great observation. The 2026 summer will be amazing because yeah. it'll be February, 2026 when those Olympics happen. So okay. Sweet. And in 2025, you can make that prediction. <laughs> okay, thank you. I'll write that down. Yeah, I got you. That's Don't a worry. yeah, great observation. Great, great story uh, from the season. So let's move on to the Bill Duper Spirit Award. You want to go first? Yeah, only because I'm worried you're going to take mine. Okay, and just to I guess just to reemphasize again, this is meant to be a recognition of somebody who's really important to the global trail running community, but who 
in a, in a different way than just being a great athlete, which we spent a lot of time talking about. So this is a recognition of somebody else. Yeah. So I think there's, I mean, and in part it's because we can't give this award to Jamil Curry and Stephanie Case every year. So we have to, we have to move on. We have to move forward. So my um, Bill Duper Spirit Award this year goes to Zoe Rome, um, the editor-in-chief over at Trailrunner Mag, the managing editor over at Women's Running, um, a talented runner in her own right. But the work that she does to elevate voices that need to be heard in our sport and to provide a platform for discussions, like actual discussions about um, the intersectional nature of trail running, you know, be it environmentalism, be it trans and non-binary representation, rights, rules, regulations, et cetera. I think that that's not an easy position to be in. And it's frankly like a very intimidating position to be in. And she does it very well. And I think that our sport and our world is so much better off for having people like Zoe being willing to take those, take those positions on, um, because they make hopefully our whole community a whole heck of a lot better. So yeah, my Bill Duper award goes to Zoe this year. So well-deserved, so well-deserved. Yes. And Zoe is one of my favorite, uh, or the, one of the people I most admire in the sport, a great leader, a great writer, and somebody who has always has the you know, the best intentions in mind with everything that she does. So shout out to Zoe. I chose Brendan Madigan, who's a person that Great you and choice. I both know very well, but who I think, uh, for those who don't know him, I think it's important to kind of recognize what he does because I think it's unusual and it's worthy of admiration and it's worthy of trying to follow his example. Brendan Madigan of, is, of course, the race director of the Broken Arrow Sky Race, but he's much more than that. He's universally respected, you know, fabric of his community, pillar of his community there in the Lake Tahoe area, owns Alpenglow Sports. Uh, he has a speaker series. He has various events, including Broken Arrow. And every one of those those things, everything that he does has an important give back component. He's a great business leader, but somebody who always, I think, takes that responsibility seriously and prioritizes being of service both to his local community and to kind of the greater community, in this case, trail running and, um, you know, the type of person who makes service more important than maximizing revenue. And I think this year in 100%. particular, he he was especially uh, worthy of receiving the Bill Duper Spirit Award um, with his pushing Broken Arrow forward, making it really one of the best races in North America, and also critically stepping up to the plate and bringing $50,000 of prize money to the professional athletes while also through all of his other events, having an amazing give back charitable component to his, uh, you know, big web of businesses and organizations there in the Lake Tahoe area. So Brendan Madigan was my Bill Duper Spirit Award recipient. Yeah, I think that's a great a great call. Are you going to his beer bucket run this weekend? No, no, I'm not. I should. I tried calling on Mount, him. Mount Diablo. It's for you. I tried calling him yesterday on my drive home when we yeah. were all texting with him. But yeah, shout out to Brendan Madigan. And uh, I guess uh, I didn't specify this, so maybe it's important to just mention the Bill Duper Spirit Award is named after Bill Duper, who passed a few years ago, but he was a gentleman who lived in Leadville, Colorado and was known around the Colorado and 
you know, North American trail running community as being the biggest fan of the sport and somebody who everybody had a lot of uh, love for and who always sort of carried the spirit of trail running with him, even though he was never a participant himself. Uh, he was always wearing his trademark Green Bay Packers hat and, you know, always giving you his hot takes and predictions of the race results before they happened and always, uh, yeah, just a great influence on the sport. And, and this is our attempt at just kind of recognizing that spirit by giving these awards. So RIP. We should probably make something official. We need to make something official as we like give these awards out by talking about humans every year. And, and, uh, we need to, yeah. Find yeah. a way to share that gratitude even bigger. Make a plaque. And like Corinne mentioned, Jamil Curry and Stephanie Case took home the awards last year. And now Brendan Madigan and Zoe Rome this year. So get back to it in 2023. So let's uh, let's start winding down. Predictions for 2023. And then we'll share some pers- personal highlights and look ahead towards next year. Any uh, big predictions for next year, Corinne? Um. People are really excited about maybe an expansion of live coverage. I'm super curious to know how that goes, just having worked for wide media this year and all of its ups and downs of trying to do live streaming um, from all over the world. So curious to see kind of what that looks like in 2023. I do think that we're going to have slightly more than this year, though maybe not as much as people are anticipating. Um, I think that we're going to have some sort of grand finale, but I don't think we 100% know how we're going to get there yet with the UTMB World Series. Like, I think the idea could work, but I think that the series has yet to figure out exactly how it's going to put an elite field together. And so I think I've got a lot of question marks. What do you mean by that? Like they're going to add a season finale race or... No, I just think that we have yet to have... Things are going to come to a head because that's my prediction. Yeah. Well, so we've got... there. There is competition amongst series for the athletes. Now we also have a professional union that is forming that will hopefully uh, alleviate some of the discomfort that we all feel with that kind of competition for athletes. Which you um, are on the board of, we should mention. Yeah. Yeah, I am now a board member. Caitlin Gerben and I represent the U.S. um, as board members. Seattle. Seattle represents in a big way. (laughs) Uh, There's seven of us on the board and Caitlin Gerben and I are two of the members. Um, we're gonna have a bunch of working groups working on a ton of different projects, but one of them is like calendar consolidation and, and being thoughtful and mindful of travel and, um, championships that conflict with one another or are too close together to actually allow athletes to go both like to worlds, for example, and the golden trail world series finale. Like that was an unfair, uh, kind of back-to-back calendar smush for a lot of people. You know, what's going to be terrible next year is the world champs when they, they finally did it right with the trail and mountain world championships, which they did it in. Thailand this year is going to be in Austria next year, but it's in June, which they're like totally the screwed worst up. time of year. They yeah. absolutely should move it back to the fall. But that, that, but that championships is going to be every two years moving forward as well, which I think will be will be helpful. Um, so my my thing is that this is not really a prediction. It's like there's a lot of question marks yet to be to be answered. I think more than anything, so much to say that like right now the elites are supposed to qualify by going to UTMB World Series races. So much so that like the top 50 men and women have been reached out to by the UTMB organization to be like, Hey, we'll support you to go to two other races outside of the finale type of thing. Mm -hmm. But right now having done commentary for many of the UTMB world series races in 2022, we actually don't have a super competitive field yet to line up at 2023. And so the organization will have to make a decision 
as to how they're going to make their elite field elite um, because they want it to be the deepest race of the year. And right now it's not setting up to be that way. It's setting up to be smaller and not as deep. So there's going to have to be a back channel way to get elites in. And I don't think the organization knows how they're going to do that yet. It's amazing how uh, on the same wavelength we are, Corinne, because this is my prediction for 2023 is that UTMB is going to have to reevaluate their model. It's too confusing. It's too exclusive. They're having a really hard time acquiring races in the U.S. They're alienating. People can't travel to things like it's if you if you like based on where you live, like you can't actually make it to any of these races. And it's like it's economically disadvantaged, like at a, people are economically at a disadvantage. It's just, it's increasing barrier. It, it, it's adding barriers to, of entry to this event and the, the events that surround it. So I, I think it's going to be 2023 might be a weird year yeah. for the organization. And I'm not sure what that is going to look like, yeah. which is speculation and not actual prediction. Well, I guess the prediction is that something's going to have to change. And, uh, It'll be interesting to see how they arrive at whatever evolution they need to come to. But I think it's a fair prediction that something is going to have to change and they'll, they're self-aware enough to understand that. Say a little bit more about the Pro Trail Runners Association. I'm actually having Francesco Puppy on the podcast and we're going to talk about it at greater He's length. great. Yes, he is. He's- he is great. A great athlete and also has the best intentions for the sport and for the professional athletes. And I think since you're a board member, this would be a great opportunity for you to just do a quick intro. Yeah. So we... Um- we had our first general assembly meeting. The plan is to have probably have an annual general assembly where things are voted on for the next year, including every two years, there'll be board board members can be voted on. And then um, we'll also, also we're voting on projects. Um, it's set up. So Killian, um, Francesco, a number of guys kind of were at the helm. Pascal. Yeah, uh, Pascal. Pascal Agli, the Swiss, yep. Swiss runner. Yep. Mm-hmm. Sky running athlete, um, kind of were, they tried to get this off the ground a couple of years ago. It didn't really happen. They kind of went back to the drawing board and got things off the ground again, um, this year, which is really important. We had our first general assembly meeting that I think we had like 130 athletes on the call, which is pretty cool. It's also pretty wild to get like a zoom or Google meet invite from Killian. You're like, Oh, okay. This is totally normal. I, I want to say more about that in a sec, but keep going. But, um, you know, I was told about it via my teammates, Petter Engdahl, um, who's close with with Killian and Jonathan Elbin. Um, but the idea being that, you know, that the athletes should have a voice in this. And, you know, people are like, well, how do you get these corporations and races to listen to the athletes? And, you know, in our first general assembly meeting, Killian said, well, we're not planning to strike, but now we can if we need to. Yep. Like, because Collective the way, bargaining. Yep. Yeah, you have to have a group entity you know, kind of not hive hive mind or hive thinking, but you need to have a way to communicate effectively amongst the professional athletes in the field. In Speak the, in with the a sport. unified voice. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, we'll have, we'll have a general secretary who is kind of part of that public facing um, person. They're also going to be, that is a paid part-time position um, with someone who's not not no longer in the sport, but will kind of be the, the, the interacting face amongst entities. Um, but the, the current, you know, we've, we just voted on, on projects. They include, they range from anti-doping to contract literacy. Um, I'm calling it contract literacy because part of that is understanding what's in your contract Mm -hmm. and knowing what should be in your contract. Um, and also making sure there's like fair bargaining in that, um, to environmental, um, policies. Part of that is the travel to some of these races. Um, 
kind of like athletes rights focused, which mostly has to do with like how we interact with race organizations, including like press pre-race during race and post-race making sure that's, um, that there is, you know, equality across gender representation in that as well. That's been a big issue in the past as, as far as like pre-race during race and post-race, um, media coverage for the, both the men's field and the women's field. Um, so there's a lot of sub projects that are going to be getting off the ground in the next couple months, um, with working groups that are made up of other professional athletes. That'll be kind of like, we'll have board members at the helm of those things with working groups, um, kind of in collaboration to get those projects moving along, but exciting to like have an actual policy and thought process around anti-doping and anti-doping education, like pretty exciting to have a policy and a thought process around like contract literacy and what's in your contract. Um, so and I just think it, organizing, it gives us the workaround we need. Yeah. And just organizing the pro athletes to understand what the challenges are and how can we confront those challenges so that people can create a great living for themselves and be healthy at the same time and do what's right for the greater community and for the environment, for the world. Yeah. That's and what we don't have, thing. what we don't have yet is probably, there'll probably be additional working groups that are more like uh, country themed, i.e. like it's not so much to be a working group, but to have like a, a general assembly amongst the North American athletes and have an assembly amongst athletes that are make, that are in Western Europe or like in the Schengen region type of thing. So yeah. that those, the specific needs of, of the Asian athletes, of the Western European athletes, of the North American athletes, of the South American athletes, like having, having voices because otherwise they get drowned out by the loudest, the loudest voices in the room. Yeah. Um, so to be able to have all of those things heard, I think is going to be really important. And we haven't a hundred percent gotten to that next, like that next phase of the project, but um, that I think will be an important thing to move forward with, within that kind of those, within the working groups, having some like kind of country or, or nationality yeah. um, themed meetings will be important. Cool. Well, thanks for the quick intro on that. And again, we'll have Francesco on the podcast to talk about it in more detail. And the one thing that I wanted to add on it is just how awesome it is that Killian is the one or part of the group who got this off the ground, right? The greatest of all time. If there's anything he doesn't need to do, it's to look out for his fellow colleagues in the professional ranks. I mean, he is, I'm sure, the you know, the best compensated professional in the history of trail running for sure. And the type of person. But, but we need, we need that. We exactly. Need like Killian. We need, we need Courtney and Jim to also be part of that. Yeah. Like, group of like if if the if the if we are all going to make a stink about this like they have to be making a stink with us <laughs> yes. they can't be like we're going to be over here not doing anything to you know harm our personal yeah. you know relationships relationships with these race organizations like to make change i think that's why i'm on the board actually is because i was like look i've been i've been the squeaky wheel without fear of being yeah. blacklisted yet yeah. like i can do a lot within like this organizational within this organization with the backing of the rest of the board and the rest of the professional athletes in mind. Leadership. Congratulations to you for being elected, Corinne. And yeah, just so, so cool that Killian and the rest of the team have taken on this project and look forward to observing, cheering from the sideline and participating where I can. So moving on, yeah. let's, let's wrap up with some personal highlights from 2022. I get, I think we probably overlapped significantly on this even too, Corinne. So maybe I'll go first. Number one, I'm a dad now, which is the most <laughs> incredible thing ever. I am not a dad it's, now. Yeah, so. that's, the one, that's one thing we don't overlap on, but um, yeah, of course that was just the massive personal uh 
highlight of my entire life. Uh, it's brought a lot of new fun challenges into, into our lives, but it's just been an absolute joy. So, um, big shout out to my, my new son Rhodes. And of course my wonderful wife, Harmony, we also moved back to Marin. We bought a house in Marin, which is a lifelong dream or, you know, certainly a decade long dream of ours. So achieve that. Um, yeah, but like you, not much racing or competition or even a lot of training. It's been a year of more, building family, building business. And that's brought a lot of joy with it too. And uh, it's certainly a different year than I'm used to without a lot of focus on my own competitive athletic goals, but focusing on other goals, which has actually been a fun change of pace, but looking ahead towards next year, I'm very much excited to hopefully get disciplined again as an athlete. And I'm number six on the hard rock men's finishers wait list. So I'm operating as if I'm in the field there at Hard Rock. And that gives me a lot of motivation to get my butt in gear as we start 2023. What about you? Yeah, I was gonna say, it turns out that Dylan and I are just not allowed to live in the Bay Area at the same time. Because yeah. when I moved there in 2018, you moved away like yeah. a week later. And then now <laughs> I've left and you've moved back. So yeah, Dylan and Corinne just aren't allowed to live in the same place at the same time. It's really fun really good for our working relationship um thank god for you, zoom <laughs> thank god for zoom um yeah no coffee meetings it turns out but i think the the big things that we mentioned earlier like we we moved to, to washington state kind of back in our former community we lived in bellingham before so now i get to like chase caitlin gerben and let our dogs chase each other around the trail which is a delight um you know, kind of some big changes on the, on the work front. Um, I now run a solo coaching business, which is kind of wild. Um, I'm the editor in chief at free trail, which Let's is also go. wild. So jobs have kind of bullied my way into. It. Well <laughs> earned. I mean, like I said, at the top of the show, Corinne, you've really like, I mean, I'm sure you hear this from a lot of people in the community, but it's been awesome to see you. I mean, like I just said, leadership, I mean, is the first word that comes to mind with everything that you do and you wear that responsibility well. Thanks. I feel like I'm not very good at taking compliments, so I'll just let that one roll <laughs> off my shoulders and I'll absorb it. I'll absorb it later. But yeah, I got to race this year and then got to not race again this year. So I'm excited to hopefully repeat that next year in which I get to race again. Um, so I'm running right now, which feels good. I'm not running a whole lot. I'm running like 30 miles a week. Um, but it's baby, baby steps back into the world of trail running and I'm not in a rush, but very, I feel, I feel so fortunate that I have been able to be part of the trail community in different ways in 2021 and 2022. Um, while not maybe getting to flex those competitive desires quite as much, but getting to be at so many races, getting to physically and then also on live broadcast, cheer on friends and teammates and people from our community has been a real treat and hopefully get to kind of sh help shape the live broadcast stuff moving forward. But yeah, it's been a big year of change, a big year of growth, a big year without too many races on the calendar. But 2023, hopefully you and I are both back on some, some cool start lines both here in the U.S. and also abroad. That's my prediction for 2023 is that Corinne and Dylan <laughs> reemerge into the racing circuit. So <laughs> write it down and we'll check and see if we were right when we record this episode next year. Corinne, it's an honor and a privilege so. to share the podcast with you again. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. And we'll talk soon. Sounds good.
Okay, that's a wrap. 2022 done and dusted. What did you think of the episode? Jump in the free trail Slack to let us know. What did we get right? What were we horribly incorrect about? Tell us what your predictions are for 2023. If you aren't a free trail pro member, you should be. Visit the link in the show notes. There is a free trial and it is less than a hundred dollars a year with a ton of great perks we would love to have you part of the community a big thank you to our sponsors speedland our title sponsor runspeedland.com use code freetrail10 for 10 percent off your purchase of the gs tam gnarly nutrition go gnarly.com use code freetrail15 off all those nutrition products and then boa boafit.com big thank you to boa for all their support in the second half of this year. Thank you all for being here for another awesome year, our third in existence as a podcast. It's been an amazing ride and I deeply appreciate you all, the incredible audience who makes the show so fun to do. It really is an honor for me to do this for a living. Let's do it again next year, shall we? What do you say? Happy New Year, fam. Love you dearly. Talk soon. Bye-bye.